Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Okay, Ben, please stop singing that telephone line song. We have a show to do. <laughs> Must tap my telephone. Sorry, man. What is that Terry song? Gibbs. Oh. Terry Gibbs. Terry Gibbs was her name. Oh, so sorry. The year was 1981, I want to say. Oh, wow. Stepping out of the 70s a bit, huh? Yeah. In fact, there's a YouTube clip, if I might just share this with our listeners, uh, of Barry White and Dionne Warwick introducing Terry Gibbs to sing this song. I have no idea what the show was. It's on YouTube. Barry White. I can't even pretend to be Barry White. Uh, And they introduce her and she sings the song. For some reason, it's on my mind, young man. It's on my mind. Millennials are just rushing to the computer right now. (laughs) Hey, it was the year you were born. Older millennials. You ever notice that the distinction, like the older millennials and the younger millennials, the older millennials are trying to lord it over. I'm not really a millennial. I am an older millennial. Okay, all right, whatever. (laughs) Your Ben Jarofsky show for a rainy Thursday, April 8th is just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors, sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Laborers sponsors, as well as the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. For all things there is to know the city of Chicago, what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, what's open, all things the city of Chicago. If you're a clueless Chicagoan, get a clue. Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. Also, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. You should check that out. Not only will you be able to see our endless archive of Ben Jarofsky shows, over 900 episodes. Come on, 1,000. <laughs> We're getting there. Also, you can become a Ben head. That's right. You can support the Ben Jarofsky show. It's a three-tier system. You can either be in the alley, the avenue, or... Benny Boulevard. Oh my goodness. People will be so jealous when you tell them that you're on Benny Boulevard. You'll they'll be like, what does that mean? And you'll be like, I don't know, but it's great. Benny Boulevard, help out the Ben Jarofsky show. Also, if you join the Avenue or Boulevard levels, you will get a deal on the latest book from Ben Jarofsky. What? Ben Jarofsky wrote a book? Yes, he did. It's true. It's his greatest hits covering over 40 years of Chicago journalism. So it's a long book, guys. Get ready for that. It's Ben Jarofsky's greatest hits, chicagoreader.com slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Thursday, April 8th. And live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another cannabis conversation with Antonio Harvey and Lisa Solomon. And now your host. 
Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Corporate Politics Thursday, and here's why. There's an outburst of protests coming from MAGA. Almost makes me feel sorry for corporations like Coca-Cola and Delta. Keyword being almost MAGA is outraged. Outraged, I tell you, that such corporations are inching, inching, inching to taking a stand in the matter of Georgia's elector- new election laws. We'll get into all the specifics, but let's just back up and start at the beginning. Georgia Republicans passed a law intended to discourage black people from voting. Oh, I know that Georgia Republicans would not phrase it that way, and they'd be outraged. Outraged, I say, if they heard me say it. But we should never expect anything resembling honesty from MAGA anytime soon. I, guys, I don't know why you just don't come right out and say openly, this is what you're up to. Because they made it clear enough times that the numbers were against them in the state of Georgia. That is, if traditional voting patterns continue, with black voters voting overwhelmingly for the Democrats, Republicans will lose in states with high concentrations of black voters. So you have to convince your voters that the other side is cheating even before an election takes place. In other words, you have to place that seed, plant that seed of cheating in the minds of your supporters, which is why Donald Trump consistently declared that he would only lose if the other side cheats. He said that in 2016, he repeated that in 2020, and when he lost in 2020, he just kept saying it over and over and over again. By cheating, he means cheating coming from high turnouts in cities like Milwaukee, Detroit, Philadelphia, and Atlanta. Now, quick, what essential characteristics do all those cities share? You got it. They each have a high percentage of black voters, and they are each located in swing swing states where a strong black vote will tip the state from red to blue, and a weak black vote will tip the state from blue to red. Gives Republicans a choice. They can either come up with a platform and policies that win over black voters, in other words, convince black voters to vote Republican, or they can come up with a strategy to discourage black voters from voting at all. Well, clearly, they have not gone for the first option, as we saw last year, over the last several years, I should say. Donald Trump, the leader of the Republican Party, the most popular person in the Republican Party, a man to whom MAGA has sworn an oath of loyalty to the point where MAGA insurrectionists went to the Capitol on January 6th, replaced the American flag with the Trump flag. So that's your leader, MAGA. Over the last several years, Donald Trump has, and I'm just going to run through the list, waged war with high-profile black celebrities like LeBron James and, I'm thinking about it, pretty much every other player in the NBA, labeled the Black Lives Matter activists radical thugs who are endangering civilization as we know it invited that batshit crazy couple from St. Louis to speak at the Republican convention. At the moment, I can't remember their names, people, but you know who I'm talking about. They're the ones waving the weaponry at Black Lives protesters, Black Lives Matter protesters who were just walking by their house. What else did he do? He defended the Proud Boys and other white supremacist groups. He defended statues to Confederate leaders of the Confederacy. He came up with a panel whose mission was to essentially rewrite history so that slavery was views as sort of not such a bad thing. I would say it was a get over it already panel on American history. By the way, if anybody wants to hear more about this area. Wait, your microphone went out. Hello? Am I okay now? You're good now. There we go. 
Oh, I wonder how long I was off. You know what we're gonna? Yeah, have? good, like forty-five seconds. I'm gonna go back and <laughs> now the decision. It'll be a post-production decision as Dennis and I sit back and go, "Do we keep that in? Do we allow the podcasters to hear something that? really funny needs to happen between now and when you start talking again?" First time that's ever happened, ladies and gentlemen. I was so involved. What I had to say. I completely forgot that I was muted. It reminds me of the times I'm walking down the street, I'm having a conversation. Let's say Monroe Anderson's on the other line, and I'm really into it. I'm talking and talking, and then, like, I realize about a full minute has gone by, and the conversation had been disconnected. Monroe's calling me back. What happened? Two old guys talking on the phone. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. I'll just summarize it by saying this. Donald Trump has made it clear over the last several years that he has no intention of stitching together a platform or a plan or appeal that would win over black voters. And we see that by the fact that he wages war with high profile black celebrities like LeBron James, uh, that he labels Black Lives Matter activists as radical thugs, that he invited that crazy couple from St. Louis to speak at the Republican convention, you know, the ones They were waving weaponry as Black Lives Matter protesters passed their home. He defended the Proud Boys and other white supremacist groups. He defended statues to Confederate leaders of the Confederacy and came up with a panel. His mission was to rewrite history so that slavery was viewed as sort of not such a bad thing after all. So get over it, people. And, of course, he said and tweeted all kinds of nasty things about all kinds of black leaders. So, yes, there's not a whole lot of reason why black Americans would vote for him. By the way, I feel much the same way as a lefty. Every year, year after year, I vote Democratic, Democratic, Democratic. And people go, Ben, stop voting Democrat. What's my alternative? Every issue, every issue that matters to me, the Republicans are, are ridiculous to the point of absurd. They don't even have policies. Climate, no policy. Choice, vehemently anti, against it. If anybody dares to speak any other way, they're drubbed out of the party. Like social equity is probably my number one issue here in the city of Chicago. They promoted a, a tax plan that gave huge breaks to the wealthiest people, a huge transfer of power the other way. So any issue that matters to me, unions, they're absolutely absent in every issue regarding unions. See that right now with the fight over Amazon. Nowhere to be found in the Republican Party. So what, what motivation do I as a lefty have to vote Republican? The best they can do is tell me how... Mean and nasty Dems in the Hillary Clinton campaign were to Bernie Sanders. And that works for some lefties, I must confess. But that doesn't mean they're going to vote for Donald Trump or a Republican. They just don't vote. So, yes, back to black voters. There are some black residents of the country who have watched this politics of MAGA and concluded that MAGA is right. And I'm thinking of Senator Tim Scott, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, Congressman Burgess Owens. But the overwhelming majority of black voters have looked at this behavior and you said, you know what, take a vote in Democrat this time. So clearly, Republicans went to option B, and that is discouraging blacks from voting, as we see in Georgia. And we'll be discussing the specifics of the law in Georgia with learned folks like David Ferris and Jason Lee. Uh, this Friday, David Ferris will be on. Next week, Jason Lee will be on. There's a course of analysts who believe that the law in Georgia may actually help increase turnout as opposed to deter it. I'm, for one, not convinced on this point, but we'll have the conversation. In general, I subscribe to the Delmarie Cobb theory. 
Republicans and black voters. And that's named for the political strategist here in Chicago, among other things, was once a press aide to Hillary Clinton and Jesse Jackson in their presidential campaigns. And Delmarie has articulated this theory in this show and other places many, many times. Her theory is that Republicans also attempt to lower black turnout by promoting the notion that voting doesn't matter, that there's no difference between Democrats and Republicans, and that they all lie, so what's the point? That tactic worked reasonably well in 2016 when Trump edged Hillary. Did it work so well in 2020, in part because Donald Trump was just so blatantly white supremacist racist throughout his term that he undercut his efforts to show voters that there was no difference between Democrats and Republicans. Happened with lefties, too. Which really, I, the number of lefties I know who did not vote uh, for the Democratic candidate fell. Still, look in this election over 2016, still a few of you out there, a few of you that can actually even see if I look really carefully. Are you talking about me? And no, no, no. Just a few of you. That's all. Is there someone in the alley? <laughs> yeah, someone in the alley. <laughs> anyway, so that brings us to the corporations. Now, I almost feel sorry for them. They subscribed to the notion, in part, that America's the greatest country in the world. And that, yes, we've had our problems in the past, but overall, working hard to make the country even better than it ever was. And as such, they feel compelled to honor great black leaders like Martin Luther King and John Lewis, proclaiming them as patriots. Anything to get you to feel good enough to buy their product. So it kind of goes against the marketing plan if you have some corporate black, black leaders in the boardroom outraged by blatant attempt by Georgia to win the next election by discouraging black voters to vote. Corporations have to take a stand. Either continue to promote their marketing plan or they look the other way. And for the moment, many of those corporations, knees knocking, <laughs> chosen to stand with the marketing plan. <laughs> chosen to stand uh, with the legacy of Martin Luther King and John Lewis. So I say, keep up the pressure, people. My sense is those corporate knees are wobbling. They could buckle at any time. And it could be at the next opportunity, they turn around and run. But not if you keep the pressure. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, indeed. Cannabis Conversation. Lisa Salmon. I can see her. She's already here. She's always on time. This is never late. Antonio Harvey will be joining us as well. Former, among other things, a former NBA basketball player. Played for the Lakers uh, and uh, was a broadcaster for the Portland Trailblazers for many years. A slam dunk contestant in the 90s. We'll be talking cannabis, the politics of cannabis. And at the end of the conversation, I'm going to sneak in a basketball question or two when Lisa's not paying attention. <laughs> Lisa, she's the, I know you the can, other way. Well, that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, we're also going to go down this list. It was a very interesting list in today's Sun-Times, uh, and I sent it to uh, Lisa and Antonio as a, a, a lesson, a homework, excuse me, six marijuana legalization lessons uh, by Jacob Sullum, who is a libertarian. He's a senior editor of Reason Magazine. And I don't always agree uh, with Jacob Sullum. He's a libertarian, as I just said. But uh, as a libertarian, I, I at least give him credit, uh, Jacob Sullum, uh, 
Many libertarians that don't disappoint me because they're all for liberties. Like, for instance, you shouldn't have to uh, have a pandemic passport to get on an airplane. Uh, they're for that. Uh, kind of, or you should have the right to get a gun without going through any kind of background check for that liberty. But when it comes to legalizing marijuana, I'm looking for allies. Where are you, libertarians? Oh, you're hiding under the desk. See, that's like cafeteria-style libertarians. They pick and choose what liberties they're going to select and champion. I'll take the gun rights for everybody, and I'll have the right to get on the airplane without a mask, and then the right to cough in people and give them COVID, and the right to jam-pack Texas Stadium in the middle of a pandemic and give everybody COVID. But legalizing marijuana, mm, I just don't feel like eating that today. So anyway, Jacob Sol, I give him credit. He's, he's a libertarian. At least he's got the consistency uh, to stand up for the legalization of marijuana. And he's got uh, several lessons that he's learned from taking a look at some of the legalization lessons, excuse me, legalization efforts uh, throughout states. So uh, Antonio Harvey has joined us. Lisa Solomon has joined us. Uh, we're going to bring them both on to have the conversation after this break. And now things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky show live from his attic. Uh, this is a uh, political talk show, and uh, as such, I try to restrain myself uh, on the issue of sports. I'm a sports fanatic, particularly a basketball fanatic, have been my entire life. But every now and then I have a guest that just like kind of goes in both worlds. And so I get to uh, cover, feed my urges, so to speak, with a little sports conversation, a little cannabis conversation, a little political conversation, and that's where we're going to be today. Uh, and uh, I'm as since it's a cannabis conversation, my partner in crime from the Chicago Reader, Lisa Solomon, will uh, have the great uh, distinction, the right, the honor of introducing our guest. So, Lisa, take it away. Thank you, Ben. Always a pleasure to be with you for a cannabis conversation. And you already told our listeners a little bit about who's coming on, but I am very, very excited to have Antonio Harvey on with us today. He's got 25 years of playing, coaching, and broadcasting in sports. He um, arrived in Portland, Oregon, courtesy of the Trailblazers back in 1999. The reason I am so excited to have him on is he shares my passion for education and normalization when it comes to cannabis. So instead of me taking up more of your time, I'm going to pass it over to Antonio, founder of Legends Brands and co-founder of Harmonic Woman CBD with his lovely wife, Jennifer Spear Harvey, and let him tell you about how he first got into this and why it's so important to him. Antonio, take it away. Wow. What an introduction. First, 
Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Ben, for allowing me to be here. Dennis, thanks for making this happen. Ah, uh, how did I get here? Um, it's an interesting story. You know, I, I spent 25 years, as you said, between playing and coaching and being around a game of basketball. And, you know, in that time, I also raised the family. And uh, towards the end of my broadcast career, you know, 12 years as a player, 12 years as a broadcaster, one year as a coach, towards the end of my broadcast career, um, I had a, a younger son and it came down to how do I take my life back? Right. When you're, when you're a pro athlete and people don't talk about it, but when you're a pro athlete, um, they run your life. What time you wake up in the morning, what time you got to be in a certain place, what time you got to be at practice, what time you got to do this, what time you got to do that. And then you don't really have family time because even when you're not in season, you're, you're, you're in season, you're trying to prepare for the next season. Uh, long and short of it is uh, 2014, the state of Oregon voted to legalize cannabis. And I had been a proponent of cannabis through my older brother who played in the NFL and watching how cannabis helped him stay sane for lack of a better term. And, you know, there's a thing that just happened a couple of days ago in South Carolina involving a former NFL player. And that's something we can talk about or not talk about. You guys can decide. But the fact that athletes, especially football players are dealing with such traumatic brain injuries. And I watched how cannabis helped my brother deal with that. So I was always a proponent. And then in turn, he helped me deal with some of my issues which was sleep because again, you know, when you're in the NBA and around the NBA, they tell you every aspect of your life, you're going to get in at two 30, you got to be up at eight 30, you got to do this and sleep becomes a real problem. So towards the end of my career and into my broadcasting career, I was utilizing cannabis to help me sleep at night. You know, I couldn't smoke. I never smoked it. So, you know, I'm not a, I'm not anti or pro smoking cannabis. You consume it how you want to consume it, just consume it. Uh, so in 14, Oregon legalized. Um, I saw it as an opportunity to go into business for myself, me and my wife, and we took advantage of it. I saw it as an opportunity to take my life back, to literally liberate myself from the control of another human being and or another organization. We haven't looked back since. I mean, we've been having a great time at it. We 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 went from flour to THC products to CBD products, and now we're just trying to see where we can take this plant so that everybody feels like they should be utilizing cannabis. Wow. You shared so many powerful and important things. So I'm going to leave it up to you right now to decide if you want to talk about, you know, athletes using it regularly. And I love that your brand labels the products in a way that someone understands what they are getting. And you also include suggested instructions. They know before, or after the workout, or to talk about, you know, your brother in the NFL and the traumatic brain injuries, because that is something so important for everyone to understand and can save lives that are currently in jeopardy. You know, it's, it's interesting. And I always, I'm always mixed 50, 50 on this conversation when it comes to athletes and cannabis, because it's easy for me to say, because I have a brand that's kind of geared towards athletes. It's easy for me to harp on athletes need to take it. If you're an athlete, you need to be utilizing some sort of cannabis, but it's more than that. Let's keep it real. It's everybody. You know, if you have a brain, if you have motor neurons in your body, you need to be utilizing cannabis. Um, I was just reading an article maybe in the last month or so. And I love, I love, I love it to the point that this is all I do. I read everything I can about the, the plant so I can learn more, understand more. But I was reading this article and it talked about all of the potential impacts of cannabis and other natural herbs. 
And what I began to realize as I'm reading this article is that everything we take, every medicine almost on the entire, uh, from any pharmaceutical company, is a derivative or it's a synthetic of something you can get in a natural plant. It's And so, you know, I can talk about sports. I love it. But I really like to talk about this plant. I really like to talk about the normalization of this plant and how we get it into the hands of the masses. That's really what Legends is about. Well, Antonio, uh, to that point, the normalization of the plant uh, and the role of the athlete, uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the early 80s, but athletes were used uh, by and large to deter people, discourage people, not just cannabis called reefer, but uh, just drugs in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, the just say no to drugs campaign, you probably were uh, just doing a quick in mind. You were like in the uh, fifth or sixth grade when this was going on. And no, I, no, no. I was I was high school. I was a part of the, the say no to drugs campaign. I remember the the scrambled eggs in the pot. Yeah, you know, this is your brain and this is your brain yeah. on drugs. Well, you know what? I'll be honest. I agree with them. But we need to redefine the drug, right? Cannabis isn't the drug. How about the drug is anything you get from Big Pharma? That's your brain on drugs. Or or have you ever heard a disclaimer? Have you ever been to a dispensary and the the dispensary person, the butt tender had to say to you, could cause, and then they run off like 72 different (laughs) potential side effects? It doesn't happen. There's a reason for that. It's, It's because it doesn't happen. So, yeah. Uh, Well, so while the athletes, and I'm not going to name names, I could just picture some of them from when I, from the 80s. I'm going to leave them out, okay? They were under pressures that I don't even begin to understand with the owners of the team saying, look, come on out and give this testimony here or there. So I'm I'm not going to leave, I'm going to leave their names out. But while they were doing that, were other athletes in the same locker with them rolling their eyes? Was there a notion that there was uh, an inconsistency, to put it most mildly or euphemistically, or utter blatant hypocrisy to really hit it hard on the part of the leaders of the NFL and the NBA who are punishing people? Anton, they punished you if you were caught uh, smoking marijuana. If they if it showed up in your blood system through a blood test, they punished you. It wasn't like they were encouraging you to think and have like an open mind, as you're saying about different ways to dealing with the pain you're feeling because you're a football player and what you do is run full speed into another huge football player. They discouraged you, okay, by making your turns. So. Were players in the locker room, did they talk about it? Did they say, oh, my God, I'm just a puppet in this man's game? Or was it just something that nobody talked about? Go ahead, talk about that. I, I think it was it was a mix of both. Um, there was a great level of hypocrisy. Like, I know, I know that every major NBA player that I can think of utilized cannabis. They smoked. Um, I can tell you stories about how practices changed because uh, when I first got in the league, so I'll give you a little history. When I first got into the NBA, uh, cannabis was not on the banned substance list. Like we can talk about what they were telling the world, but we knew that cannabis was not on the banned substance list. They put cocaine because, you, you know, anybody that's been around long enough and Ben, you've been around long enough, you know, there was a huge like for real drug problem in the NBA for a long time. Guys were doing, uh, you know, all sorts of of. Um, 
synthetic drugs, cocaine, and all the way through LSD. They were they were literally getting it all in. Uh, and then about 1987, 88, um, they banned all the other stuff, and they went into this whole drug testing protocol. But what they didn't tell the world, both in the NFL and the NBA, is that cannabis was not on the banned substance list. So they were par- parading us out there, parading those guys out there as anti-drug. But then in the background, they were saying, look, we know what you guys are doing. And we know that if we make this criminal, we're going to have to basically shut the league down or we're going to have a bunch of Antonio Harvey's on the court. And nobody wants to see that. So <laughs> that's kind of what it boiled down to. Then, then in the, in the mid, I want to say it must have been the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. And this is an interesting time because God rest his soul, David Stern had everything to do with this, with this switch. Mid-2000s, the Allen Iverson years, when he was at his hottest, you know, he brought in a very different culture to the NBA. All of a sudden, the ticket buyers felt a little bit alienated. You know, they didn't, Allen Iverson didn't look like me. He didn't dress like me. He didn't talk like me. He didn't want to wear a suit. He looked different. And so, and that's not a knock on AI. It's just what it was. So the league came in and said, well, we're going to punish these guys and we're going to make them conform just like what you just said. And we're going to take THC and put it back on the banned substance list. Um, That was about 0304, I believe it was. And there was a 12 year span where it was on the banned substance list. When I came in, uh, it was back on, it was on, I'm sorry, that might've been 98, 99 because it was back on the list in 99, but they could only test once a year during training camp. And they had to tell us when they were coming. And let me tell you guys, it was the most amazing thing in the world. If you want to know the rate of cannabis use in the NBA (laughs) in the the 2000s, let me tell you. First three days of practice, it looked like there was a fight breaking out every day. Guys are tense and stressed Mm -hmm. out. And then, and from day one, they'd be asking the trainer, when's the test guy coming? When's the test guy coming? (laughs) Day three or four training camp, the test guy shows up. Day five of training camp, smoothest, most beautiful practices you've ever seen in your life. Like those <laughs> guys would leave the pee room. Like they, I'm sorry, at least I apologize. They would leave the restroom. They would leave the restroom, go to their cars, and medicate. Right, and I always I use that term very specifically because if you're dealing with stress and anxiety, and you go out and you smoke a joint and that stress and anxiety leaves your body, you are not getting high. You're medicating. And I'm so tired of hearing that damn term about stoner this and stoner that. Everybody medicates. You just don't know what you're medicating for most of the time. Yeah. So Antonio, as big of a sports fan as Ben is, I'm that big of a fan of cannabis as a medicine. (laughs) So I'm going to turn the table back now. So if you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes to tell you know, the listeners about the endocannabinoid system and explain to them why cannabis is such a great thing for the body used in the right way. So uh, the endocannabinoid system is, it's basically who we are. It regulates everything we do, right? And so I've, I've, I've tried to figure out, because I'm asked this question a lot, and I'm always trying to figure out a good analogy for the endocannabinoid system. And, and people, they, it's been termed a system. But it's kind of not, right? I want you guys to try to, if you're listening, try to wrap your head around this. Everything we know from the pulmonary system to the, to the uh, what is it, the, the 
you name a system in the body. I don't know them all. I'm not a doctor. I'm not even going to pretend. But those are not systems. Think of those as apps, right? Just like you have on your phone. All of that's an app, whether it's your, it's the pulmonary app. It's the neutral, central nervous app. The endocannabinoid system is the operating system of the body. All the other apps operate on the endocannabinoid system. If your ECS is bad, then your body is bad because the apps won't work right. It's literally everything in the body runs off of the system. And then you can plug and play your different apps. If it's the pulmonary app or if it's the, the, the what's the other one? I just named it. The, the central nervous app or whatever it is. Think of them that way. The the ECS is literally the operating system of your body. It regulates everything else. And without it, and when it's not in full full operating capacity, your body suffers because of it. That's my way of explaining it. Beautiful analogy. And most people don't realize that your body produces cannabinoids. They're called endocannabinoids because they're produced within the body. So our bodies get out of balance. And, and from a from a sports standpoint, um, we we studies in Israel, I can't say we because the U.S. is so far behind. But there have been studies in Israel that have determined that what we once thought when we talked about runners high, we thought it was uh, dopamine being released into the bloodstream. Now we're finding out that it's a it's a different substance called anandamide. Anandamide is a direct result of the endocannabinoid system. So what we found through the Legends brand and, and through our research is that we can actually help you be a better athlete because our products are, are formulated in such a way that we can help you get into a runner's high or a version of it a little bit sooner. And the quicker you can get into runner's high, the quicker you can, you can train better, train longer, train faster, recover better, recover faster, and get to the next set of exercises so that you become that much better of an athlete. So, all right, now I will uh, bring it back to where you before we went on that raft. That's how we that's how we go. Antonio's like, wait, wait. No, I love it. I love it. It's like the good cop or the bad cop. Uh, So (laughs) I don't know which one's which. But uh, going back to that, your uh, analysis, which was really spot on, in my humble opinion, about why the NBA uh, put a ban on uh, cannabis. Uh, They were afraid of their image that Allen Iverson uh, was projecting, not just blaming AI. I'm just saying. No, no, no. He, that group. He was the, group. Yeah, the group, yeah. And then the, there was that fight in Detroit. Let's not forget that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, in the stands. So there was a lot of things going on. Suddenly it was important how you dressed on the bench. I, let me ask you this, Antonio. Did Were the players aware of how hypocritical this was? Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, because there's so much uh, segregation in our country, and most of the players in the NBA are black, uh, and the pe- most of the people who own the NBA are white people, okay, or who own the teams, with the exception of Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I think he's the only black owner in the NBA right now. So what the black players may not realize is that the, the white owners, or at least their sons and daughters, are smoking as much marijuana as the black players <laughs> yep. while they're saying this is really outrageous that Antonio Harvey is engaging in this cannabinoidic uh, pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's, 
So, you know, you're a sports fan, and, and Lisa, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, early 2000s, from, from about 97 to about 2003, 2004, the Trailblazers were known as the Jailblazers, right? And a lot of the stuff that they were getting in trouble for was cannabis-related. And I'll never forget uh, Rashid Wallace, who's a good friend, a great guy, one of the best human beings on earth. Uh, Damon Stoudemire, the same thing. They're driving back from a game in Seattle. And, uh, and, and one, I'm sorry, they're riding back. I want to make sure I say that right. They're not driving. They're riding back in Damon's car, in the back seat, smoking them up. They get pulled over. Police officer makes a big deal about it. It hits the newspapers. Everybody's talking about it, right? And at the time, I was I was not working for the team at the time, but I remember somebody calling and asking me about it. And I, I asked my, my question, Ben, was your point. How many people in Oregon smoke weed? Oregon, Washington, California, Northern California. Is there anybody that doesn't smoke weed? Everybody is smoking. So if everybody is smoking, why is it that Damon and she have to be taught, uh, thought of differently? They shouldn't. Not to mention they were responsible enough to get a driver so that they didn't have to be impaired on the road. It was, it was almost sickening to think that the hypocrisy that existed in the society overall, right? You're calling them the jailblazers. Meanwhile, your son is home with a DUI. Stop playing with me. Like I, and, and I don't fancy myself the most intelligent person on the world, but damn, I'm smart enough to figure that out. Like, no, nah, if your son is home with a DUI, he's a jailblazer or she's a jailblazer. Like, stop with the hypocrisy between the owners and the players. And we can talk about that. That's a whole other conversation, Ben. We can definitely go there on a, on another show, but just hypocrisy in sports in general is ridiculous. I will uh, withstand the temptation uh, to accept your invitation to go there at this moment because I am dying to go there. So we'll just, when this is over, book you for another show and we'll do hypocrisy in sports. I could talk about it all day long, but I know Lisa's got a question that she wants to ask. So I, I cannot hog the microphone. Go ahead, Lisa. Oh, it's just so hard to know where to go next. So what, what can we do to help with the normalization and destigmatization, and we've we've really come a long way. And in the New York legislation they just passed, if I read it correctly, they've actually removed smell as a reason, like to give someone a DUI for cannabis. So we're seeing a little bit of progress, but we we all know the arrests. Although certain places are now saying don't bust people for smoking publicly, it's still very skewed in terms of the race of the people that are being you know, arrested, what, what do we do to fix that? Well, it, so as an industry, there's two things we have to do as an industry. First, we have to start talking about the plant differently, right? If you listen long enough, you, you won't hear me use the term weed or stoner. I just don't, I refuse to be a part of that part of the conversation. So for me, it's, let's talk about it for what it is. It's a plant. Uh, it's not a drug. It's none of that. So that's a part of it. Then we have to start having the conversation in such a way that it's hard to fight it. For me, um, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't have a reputation for being anything but clean cut. Right. So for me to have this conversation, people will listen. Uh, I have a good friend of mine uh, on clubhouse. We popped in one day, Steve Smith, former NBA all-star clean cut guy, really good dude. Smitty came in to listen to our sports and cannabis talk uh, on clubhouse and he stayed for three hours. The next day he texted me and said, Tom, man, I, I did not know what I didn't know. And it's that part of the conversation. It's getting guys like Steve Smith, guys who have 
really clean cut reputations, we got to start having the conversations with them. We have, have to continue to talk about what it is, the endocannabinoid system. This is not smoke a joint, get high. This is Medicaid. Um, uh, one, one story I have is, is years ago, this is when we first started, I was on a talk show, it was a call-in talk show, and we were talking about cannabis. This lady calls in and she tells me how her grandson is addicted to weed. All he does is sit down in the basement and smoke weed and he never goes anywhere and he never does this. And I said to her, maybe you need to get him some help. And she was like, well, I tried to get him the rehab. And my response was, it's not rehab. You need to get him some counseling because he's got a problem that he doesn't know how to deal with. And his way of medicating and feeling better is to smoke weed. And you're telling him that he's sick because he's smoking the weed. And that's the problem. You're not trying to figure out what's wrong with him. You've already decided. And because of that, you can't fix the problem. Right. And part of that is the language with the programs, because I've had numerous conversations with people about the terms like adult use programs, mm-hmm. recreational, because I say most people who are using it, they are self-medicating, whether it's for mild stress, anxiety, depression, or for something, you know, that's a much greater need. They are self-medicating for the most part. Spiritual, mental, or physical pain. Something you're, you're, feed, you're, you're treating a pain. You just got to find out which one it is. Yeah. Or keeping your body in balance so you don't experience. Exactly. Yep. All right. So Antonio, you, you went on a couple of great riffs. I was taking notes and I appreciate what you said. And now I'm going to give a contrary view and love to get your reaction. All right. Okay. I am now going to defend the use of the word stoner. I'm going to defend the concept of a stoner uh, in the overall War against the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. And I hear what you're saying. You're, you are, you, I hear you. I took notes on what you said. There's, <laughs> there are medicinal purposes at stake here. Uh, and you do not want to conform to a stereotype that people have that can be used against you and other people who want to take the product. I understand that exactly. However, in the overall war against the war on drugs, stoners were a very important ally. Why you ask? Thank you for asking. Because they were, <laughs> and Tony's like, I didn't even ask the question. <laughs> they were very, they are very important ally because they went against the grain. We were being told, and, and this goes back to when I was a young lad, if you could imagine such a thing. Back in the 60s, Antonio, the evil marijuana reefer madness. Don't take it. And then it was like stoners, like Cheech and Chong. I love Cheech and Chong. I used to sit at the records all the time. And it was like, it completely contradicted this bizarre message that they were giving. And it undercut the notion that there was something really evil and destructive and anti-American about smoking marijuana. And so I just got to say, and even going up to now, Seth Rogen and all the other modern stoners of your era have played their own role in uh, the anti-war on drugs. Your response. Uh, You're correct. I can't even argue the point, but here's what I'll say. I'm going to, I'm going to shift that and say they were revolutionaries. 
right? So that way I don't have to call them stoners. I'm going to call them revolutionaries. <laughs> Good thing I'm not married to you, Antonio. We be arguing over everything. <laughs> um, you know what, though? It's hard to, and, I, and here's what I'll, I'll say to that, Ben. I, the reason that I agree with you is because I don't want to diminish the work that was put in by a group that came before me. Right. Like that would be that would be disingenuous because we wouldn't be having this conversation if they didn't do what they did. And I respect and love it. So if you want to call yourself a stoner, hey, that's on you. I don't use the term because I I don't think it helps me push my agenda forward. And my agenda is normalization. But I don't give a dang what you call yourself because it doesn't impact me. Uh, You were talking before I came on the show about libertarians, right? Mm-hmm. See, I am a libertarian, but I'm a true libertarian. I don't care what you do so long as it doesn't impact me, right? If you want to smoke weed or, or snort cocaine or whatever else you want to do, as long as you don't break in my house to steal my TV afterwards, <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Don't, yeah. don't go out and get a DUI. Right. Don't do anything that's going to harm other people. Other than that, we should all be allowed to live our lives according to what makes us happy. Yeah. Period. I, I, I'm with you 100. percent I'm going to let Elisa get her question in, but I just have to say I'm with you 100 percent about libertarians. It's just my point about libertarians, and you and and you probably heard at the tail end of it is yep. how they pick and choose what they want to be libertarians yeah. about. So effectively, they use the rhetoric of the libertarian movement, which is rhetoric that I really am comfortable with, and they use it for a very specific political purpose, like to deny black people the right to vote in Georgia. Somehow or other, that libertarian gets <laughs> transferred into making it hard for black people in Georgia to vote. I can't find the wheeling. It's like a three, three card money game. I'm like, how are they doing it? You know, to me, those, those aren't libertarians. They're not fooling me. And they're obviously not fooling you. Um, We know what they are. They put on a different hat, but we know what they really are when it's all said and done. So they need to go back to their side of the, of the, of the pond. Uh, All right, Lisa, you got a question. I know you do go ahead. I know we're nearing the end of the time and I just, want to say, I think Antonio is looking forward to what I am. And that's when we get to a world where where people think about cannabis use daily, like they do with eating their fruits and vegetables and exercising that is part of the health and wellness regime. Oh, Lisa. Oh, you just, oh, you just, you just spoke my language. So, um, you know, I've been at this for a while now. And one of the things we did was three years ago, we started experimenting with different products And what I can tell you is that right now we are within six months of launching a new product line, a new brand rather that is based around everything you do every day. It's, it's going to start as a CBD product, but we've got mayonnaise, mustard, ketchup, uh, barbecue sauce, just about everything you do. So if you eat it today, we want to have a version of it with CBD. And eventually we want to have a version with micro doses of THC. We want this to become so normal that you go in your grocery store and you're deciding between alcohol free or, 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 you know what I mean? Like THC free or with THC, CBD free or with CBD, which way do I want to go tonight? Do I want to have a THC party tonight? Do I need to microdose? How am I feeling? Um, because in my, and this is just my opinion and I am not a doctor. But if you look at the timeline of the criminalization of cannabis, it coincides with the increase in poor um, medical behavior, poor life choices, poor um, uh, health. 
I don't, they, they crossed at a certain point about 1932. I believe it was when we fully criminalized cannabis since then cancer rates and heart disease and diabetes, everything has gone up. It's because over time our ECS has gone away or it's been so um, malnourished that it allowed all of these other ailments to, to sneak in. So again, I get passionate about it, so I apologize, but this is what I love. And then we talk about sports and this, and I'm in heaven. Okay. And that's why I brought you on. I just want to say one thing before Ben finishes up. So you said not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I do want to put out there that we don't have enough research on all of this. And exactly medications that you are not supposed to take with grapefruit juice can also potentially interact with CBD at a high enough dose. And they don't know what that is. All the research I've seen has said they think it might be around 200 milligrams. So it's just something that you need to be aware of when you look at drug interactions and all the common websites, they have it up there. So don't go too high in your CBD use thinking, oh, the more I have, the better it's going to be because it makes your body more efficient and you're going to break down your blood thinner or your uh, blood pressure medication, most of them at a higher rate, possibly putting a higher concentration in your bloodstream than you should have. So just be aware, uh, everything in moderation. 75 milligrams. Oh, that's what it is. I want to see that research. Thank you for sharing that. That's very 75 milligrams. And if you look at our products, we break our products into thirds and each one is 25 milligrams. That's the reason why it wasn't a random decision. The research said 75 milligrams for a healthy human, right? On regular medications, 75 milligrams is, is about where you need to be. All right. Before I get to uh, my uh, basketball question, which Lisa is so graciously going to allow me to ask, uh, I, I just I just want to uh, zero in on this point that the libertarian writer that I alluded to made, uh, Antonio, get your response. Uh, you're in the business and he's talking about how um, uh, cannabis products are being used uh, to raise taxes. And perhaps the, the, the greatest selling point that the legalization movement had was this is a way to supplant budgets. And here in the city of Chicago, man, they're already borrowing. They're borrowing against the revenue that they anticipate to make off of selling cannabis products, Antonio, because that's how much, how strong the market is. They repressed the market all these years. They created the quote unquote illegal market. They wasted so much money locking people up and now they're borrowing. There's people, it's like the insanity of this thing. You got, you have to get high just to deal with it. So here, here in, in New York city, this they, they, I'll read you this and get your response to this, Antonio. New York plans to tax marijuana based on THC content, but with different rates for different products. Higher for concentrates than for flour, higher still for edible. A consumer who eats a square of chocolate containing 10 milligrams of THC will be taxed six times as heavily as a consumer who smokes the same dose, which does not make sense if the aim is to reduce cannabis-related health hazards. And that's what this libertarian wrote, Jacob Sullum. Jacob, I disagree with you about nine-tenths of the things you write, but I'm right with you on that point. Why would we have- about the same with that. What's that? Illinois taxation is similarly designed. Yeah, he, so I don't understand this, Antonio. Help me out of here. I'm struggling with this. Get um, more mixed messages. Go ahead. I think the simple answer is we have allowed the government to make the decision. And I'm sorry, 
but when have they ever gotten it right? They don't get it right on a regular basis. They do way more screwing up than they do fixing, right? I mean, that's just the way the government works. It's been that way almost since existence, but it's certainly that way now. You can take any problem and involve the government, and it's only going to get worse. I, I will say this about the state of Oregon. I think we got it as right as you can possibly get it. First, the barrier of entry was super low, uh, almost too low at the beginning. A license in Oregon was $5,000. When, when we got our license, it was $5,000 to be licensed. Uh, since then, they've shut the licensing down because there was an over uh, there was an overabundance of licenses. But now my same license is worth $250. The licenses there are in the 30s and 40s of millions of dollars, which is utterly ridiculous. Um, and then from a tax standpoint, we pay tax on purchase, period, right? It's it's an absorbent tax. It's it's uh, probably, no, it's actually not that bad when, when you look at the, the overall tax rate. But when you look at what Oregon taxes, it's 3% across the board. I think Colorado's about the same. Colorado took in a billion dollars in taxes in 2019. A billion dollars mm. in taxes. Colorado is one-tenth the size of of New York. Why does New York need to do anything other than copy what's worked in other places? Yeah. And, and that's what really gets to me is just look at what works and copy and paste. Yeah. Um, I'll say this about dispensaries and then I'll, we, can, I'll let, we can certainly move on. But I'll say this about dispensaries. Dispensaries in Oregon have an effective tax rate of almost 75% because the federal government does not allow for tax breaks. So if you own a dispensary, you don't get any write-offs. So you're basically, it's, it's almost impossible to be profitable as a dispensary in most states because the 280E law doesn't allow for tax write-offs. Well, that's a more mix of a mixed messages. Uh, and we, uh, uh, as a regular guest on our show, good friend of the show, uh, Vincent Norman, uh, uh, here in the state of Illinois has, uh, is trying to force one of many people trying to force the state of Illinois. I just don't want to lose this point uh, to at least get those dispensary licenses in the hands of people who paid the greatest price uh, in the war on drugs. And basically I'm talking about black entrepreneur, black entrepreneurs. So that's a whole other issue we're going to avoid because we're running out of time. And I do want to get my sports question. in. So uh, at least you can listen. Okay. You don't have to leave. You can listen. So here it is. And I'm thinking about your generation again. I'm, I'm about 20 years older than you. So, I'm a huge basketball fan. I've watched basketball from the 60s to 70s and on. All right. But I have come to realize that so much time has passed, Antonio, that your generation has had a cultural impact, not just in uh, for basketball, but culturally speaking. I recognize this. A, a baby boomer. I recognize this. And I saw proof of this. I saw a notification about a special. I can't. I think it's ESPN. I'm, I'm, don't quote me on it, Antonio, but some network is doing a special about the draft class of 1996, which is roughly around the time you went into the NBA. And it featured Allen Iverson, mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant, Jermaine O'Neal. Wow. Jermaine O'Neal, uh, Ray, Ray Allen, Allen, Ray Allen, Marcus Camby, Stefan Marbury. Um, trying to think of the other. There's about nine really major stars in that draft. Steve Nash. Steve Nash. I am I am a I am a historian of the game. Um, I love it. I don't play it anymore. I don't want to be around it as a as an as someone who is a, um, as an employee. 
but I still love the game. So was that 96 draft as significant as <laughs> you guys, you can't see that. Stop. <laughs> He's shaking his head. Go ahead. Take it away, Antonio. There have been so many other drafts that were way more pivotal. First of all, I mean, we can just point to, I think it was the 83 draft when, when Mike came out. Right? 84. 84, I'm sorry. 84. Um, outside of 79, I don't think the NBA had a more important draft. 79 was Magic and Bird, mm-hmm. right? Magic and Bird brought the NBA to the tipping point of relevance. Michael Jordan took that and ran it all the way through. So we can talk about every other draft class after that. But the classes that really brought the NBA to relevance, and without those two, there is no class of 92 with Shaq and Alonzo Mourning and that group, uh, Mahmoud. There is no class of 96, right? There is no class of 2003 with LeBron and Dwayne Wade, right? There is Chris Bosh. There's no class. None of those classes exist without the class of 79, and the class of 84. 84 wasn't as deep, but the two players with the biggest impact, Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon, between them, they won eight championships. Between them, I believe it was 37 all-star appearances. Those two guys, just those two. So they can talk about everybody else, and I'm not even including the classes I, I was involved in. I'm just talking about historical classes that had relevance to sports and the NBA in general. Class of 79 with Mike with uh, uh, Johnson and Bird and class of 84 with Michael Jordan. Without those two, we're not even having conversations about the NBA right now. I, I absolutely agree with you 100%. I just had to hear it from a 90s guy. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not one of these old guys. I just want to say this right now. I am definitely not one of the old guys who just goes on and on about, oh, you should have seen it back in the day, Will Chamberlain versus Bill Russell. That was basketball. I'm not even doing that. I don't do that, Antonio. I love the game. I still watch it, you know, passionately. But I'll tell you, Ben, they make the comparisons. We could have played now. These now guys couldn't have played then. Um, the physicality of the game was so great when I played that Steph Curry, I love him. He's great for today's game. Steph Curry would have been uh, Steve, uh, the, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, Steve. Um, Steve Curry. Steve Curry. No better than Steve Kerr. And the reason is because he's not physically gifted, right? He can shoot the shootout of it, but that's all he does. He shoots the ball. He would have been a a corner spot-up guy in 1987, 88, 89, through about 2002. That's all he would have been because we didn't rely on the three ball. But then you take guys like people say, oh, well, Jordan couldn't have played today. Bullseye. We saw what Jordan could do in the 96 finals when he ripped uh, the, the Blazers apart with, what, six threes in the first half? So yeah. apparently he could shoot the ball. Yeah. And if you look at his historical three-point percentage, historically he was a 30 per 31, 32% three-point shooter. Uh, that's everybody in the NBA today, by the way. If you shoot 40% from the three-point line, you are considered fabulous. So Jordan's 32 would not have been that bad, and he would have killed it everywhere else. 
Well, that was really gracious of you as a Portland Trailblazer fan uh, <laughs> to give that little shout out to Michael Jeffrey Jordan from the 1992 uh, championship games where he did the shrug. So, uh, uh, yeah, 92. I'm sorry. Yeah, 92. Yeah. Uh, and so, we'll, we'll, uh, uh, I'll have to ask you this question then, and then I'll let Lisa get in the last question of the day, uh, just to be fair to her. She's such a good sport. 1996, my beloved Chicago Bulls, huge Bulls fan, uh, played uh, the Portland. Uh, was it uh, no? The, was it uh, the Supersonics uh, in a championship game, uh, and the Bulls were victorious uh, in the championship finals. The Bulls were victorious. The Sonics fans have uh, ever since rewritten history to say, "Well, we would have won a championship." <laughs> Your face just gave it all away. Uh, if it wasn't for an injury to one of our guards, uh, Norm Mc, uh, McMullen, the, the McMillan, who is a f- former coach, Nate McMillan, excuse me, former coach. He, I think he was the Pacers coach last I looked. He may uh, be the Atlanta he's Hawks. Atlanta right now. He's, he's the Atlanta right now. I love the man. Great basketball player. But come on, Antonio Harvey, you're representing now the entire northwest corner of the state. The United States, with uh, would Seattle have won, defeated the Bulls if Nate McMillan had been healthy? Okay, so all right, let me see if I can put this into perspective for everybody. First, Ben, I don't think you know this, but I was on that roster. I was, uh, I was, uh, I was an inactive player on that roster, so I was there and I watched all of this. Okay, so having said that, uh, Nate McMillan averaged about three points a game, and he was a really good defender. So what people are trying to say is that had Nate been healthy with his three points again, that was the difference. The three points per game were the difference between success and failure. Again, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm not an idiot. (laughs) No, no. The reason that, 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 that Seattle lost was because Michael Jordan was a monster. Yeah. And and he had the support of Scottie Pippen and and uh, I mean even Luke Longley. He had uh, Dennis Rodman. Uh, I'm trying to think of who were the guy. Um, uh, Ron Harper. Yeah, right? Ron Harper. The reason they lost was because Chicago was better with a better coach. Not to mention that uh, I believe it was a couple of years prior to that George Carl had said some nasty things about yes. MJ. Right. And we all know that MJ simply doesn't forget. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was like Kobe, God rest his soul. Like you could say something about MJ when he was seven years old. He remembered it until he saw you again. Yeah. And it was going to be a problem for you. So, no, no chance, no chance. And as much as I would have loved to have gotten a ring that year, zero possibility. Right, zero. Like, I, I love your honesty. Uh, and I got to tell you, I share that. If I could use you as my therapist right now, Antonio, I share that. <laughs> Someone says something bad about me. Ten years later, I saw the difference between me and Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I really, there's nothing I can do about it uh, except seed and take cannabis products. But I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry. I, I got it. Okay, so now, you, now you, now you make me have to tell the story. At least I apologize. I'll make it as quick as possible. Summer of 1987. I'm in a. I'm. I'm starting to come into my own as a basketball player in Mississippi. We go up to Kentucky to play in this basketball tournament. And I'm facing this team from California. They've got this guy, Don McClain. Never heard of him, but he's a monster. White dude from Southern California with the tan and the long hair, right? And he is giving me the business, 100% the business. And he's talking trash the whole time. I couldn't do anything with him. Fast forward five years. Now I'm with the Lakers. It's the summer league. We're playing out in LA in some pickup games. And in walks Don McClain. 
As soon as he walked into the door, my blood started to boil. Five years later, I was mad at that dude for the way he treated me in that game. So, yes, we're cut from the same cloth. Yeah, it's, it's not a great cloth to be cut from, I'm just saying. But it, <laughs> it, it is what it is. It is what it is, yes. And I heard it from my mother, man. She's all 30 years and she'll remember. And she never even played basketball. All right, Lisa, we'll allow you the last question, whatever you want to ask, and then we'll close it down for the day. Go ahead. Okay, so since we don't have time to get into CBD use with, with kids and cannabis use for teens, we're going to table that for the next time. And I'm going to ask you, when you've got this amazing Legends brand, what then spurred you to co-found with your wife, Harmonic Women's Woman CBD? Well, don't give me that much credit. All I am is a support person in that. That's all her. She recognizes that there is a space within cannabis that doesn't exist, and that is a welcoming space for women. Women are not talked about, talked to, or, or really been a target audience in the cannabis space until very, very recently. And that's a problem for us. Women, first, they grow the best weed, flower, however you want to call it. We know that because they are synchronous with the plant. It's a female plant. And women have a better energy with the plant. That's just the truth as far as I'm concerned. But then also, when you go into dispensaries, everybody talks about the male stoner, the male smoker, the male user. And the truth is women make all the decisions, right? I mean, you think about what Nike did when they, when they really exploded, they didn't target men. They targeted soccer moms because they knew soccer moms were going to buy the shoes for their soccer playing kids and their soccer and their, their walking husbands. Right? So we feel like this is an opportunity to right a wrong and uh, really build a very strong and prominent brand in the harmonic woman's line. Thank All right. You. Very good. Uh, and Nike. Antonio, thank you very much. Lisa, what's that? Since he mentioned Nike, I'm just going to refer back to the, what he said earlier in the show. Just consume it. Just consume it. That's exactly right. <laughs> just consume it. Very good. All right. I want to thank you, Ant, uh, Antonio Harvey and uh, Lisa Salmon. As always, a great cannabis conversation. I'm definitely going to invite Antonio back, get into that conversation. Hypocrisy in sports, hypocrisy in society as uh, at large, but really uh, take the deep dive in that. So uh, you're welcome back anytime, Antonio. All right. Hey, guys, thank you so much for the time and the platform. Look forward to talking to you again. All right, that's Antonio Harvey, Lisa Salmon, I'm Ben Jarofsky, and of course, that young man over there is Dr. D, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. I've just been sitting here thinking about cannabis ketchup the entire time. (laughs) He mentioned it like, oh my God, that's a hillbilly's dream right there. I I, I was really going off uh, when Antonio started talking about uh, cannabis barbecue sauce. I'm like, oh, I'm going to put that in my chicken tonight. That's a great guest, Antonio Harvey. I'm really honest, by the way. Like, he was on that. I forgot that he was on uh, he, uh, that Seattle team that the Bulls defeated and uh, in 96. Uh, and um, his honesty was just refreshing. No, they were better than us. My, my, my hero, my friend, Norm Van Leer, would say that all the time. Former Chicago Bull mate, rest in peace. Like, I'd be talking, oh, Norm, my beloved Bulls in the 70s, we lost to... This team that the Lakers, the Bucks, you go, Ben, get over it. They were better than us. So a little bit of honesty helps. All right. I want to thank Antonio Harvey and Lisa Solomon. Uh, great job. Great conversation. Enjoyed it immensely. Of course, as I was saying before, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Walton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as pretty much everybody in the NBA will tell you, back home in Alton, it's true. 
They call him Dr. D. By the way, no one was a doctor on this show. Did you notice that? Yeah, stealing like, my line. Yeah, I'm like, guys, that's Dennis's line, I believe. Uh, he owns the copyright to it. Anyway, keep yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more. ChicagoReader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. Friday. It's oh, what a week it was where we cover all the Chicago and or Illinois uh, news. Why well, say all, but all the relevant news from the week. Benny J show at gmail.com. Send us an email 708-658-4788. You can call us and find us at Benny J show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram.